0: Chapter One of On Our Selection. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Son of the Exiles. On Our Selection by Steele Rudd. Chapter One Starting the Selection. It's twenty years ago now since we settled on the creek. Twenty years. I remember well the day we came from Stanthorpe on Jerome's Dray. Eight of us and all the things. Beds, tubs, a bucket, the two cedar chairs with the pine bottoms and backs that Dad put in them, some pint pots, an old crib. It was a scorching hot day too. Talk about thirst. At every creek we came to, we drank till it stopped running. Dad didn't travel up with us. He'd gone some months before to put up the house and dig the waterhole. It was a slabbed house with shingled roof and space enough for two rooms, but the partition wasn't up. The floor was earth, but Dad had a mixture of sand and fresh cow dung with which he used to keep it level. About once every month he would put it on, and everyone had to keep outside that day till it was dry. There were no locks on the doors. Pegs were put in to keep them fast at night, and the slabs were not very close together, for we could easily see through them anybody coming on horseback. Joe and I used to play at counting the stars through the cracks in the roof. The day after we arrived, Dad took Mother and us out to see the paddock and the flat on the other side of the gully that he was going to clear for cultivation. There was no fence around the paddock, but he pointed out on a tree the surveyor's marks, showing the boundary of our ground. It must have been fine land the way Dad talked about it. There was very valuable timber on it too, so he said, and he showed us a place among some rocks on a ridge where he was sure gold would be found, but we weren't to say anything about it. Joe and I went back that evening and turned over every stone on the ridge, but we didn't find any gold. No mistake, it was a real wilderness, nothing but trees, goannas, dead timber and bears, and the nearest house, Dwyer's, was three miles away. I often wonder how the women stood it the first few years, and I can remember how Mother, when she was alone, used to sit on a log, where the lane is now, and cry for hours lonely it was lonely dad soon talked about clearing a couple of acres and putting in corn all of us did in fact till the work commenced it was a delightful topic before we started but in two weeks the clusters of fires that illumined the hooping bush in the night and the crash upon crash of the big trees as they fell had lost all their poetry we toiled and toiled clearing those four acres, where the haystacks are now standing, till every tree and sapling that had grown there was down. We thought then the worst was over, but how little we knew of clearing land. Dad was never tired of calculating and telling us how much the crop would fetch if the ground could only be got ready in time to put it in, so we laboured the harder. With our combined male and female forces and the aid of a sapling lever, we rolled the thundering big logs together in the face of hell's own fires, and when there were no logs to roll, it was tramp, tramp, the day through, gathering armfuls of sticks while the clothes clung to our backs with a muddy perspiration. Sometimes Dan and Dave would sit in the shade beside the billy of water and gaze at the small patch that had taken so long to do. Then they would turn hopelessly to what was before them and ask Dad, who would never take a spell, what was the use of thinking of ever getting such a place cleared? And when Dave wanted to know why Dad didn't take up a place on the plain, where there were no trees to grub and plenty of water, Dad would cough as if something was sticking in his throat, and then curse terribly about the squatters and political jobbery. He would soon cool down, though, and get hopeful again. "'Look at the Dwyers, he'd say. From ten acres of wheat, I got seventy pounds last year. Besides sleet for the fowls they have got corn in now, and there's only the two. It wasn't only burning off. Whenever there came a short drought, the water hole was sure to run dry. Then it was take turns to carry water from the springs, about two miles. We had no draft horse, and if we had, there was neither water cask, trolley, nor dray, so we humped it and talk about a drag. By the time you returned, if you hadn't drained the bucket in spite of the big drink you'd take before leaving the springs, more than half would certainly be spilt through the vessel bumping against your leg every time you stumbled in the long grass. Somehow none of us liked carrying water. We would sooner keep the fires going all day without dinner than do a trip to the springs. One hot, thirsty day, it was Joe's turn with the bucket, and he managed to get back without spilling very much. We were all pleased because there was enough left after the tea had been made to give each a drink. Dinner was nearly over. Dan had finished, and was taking it easy on the sofa, when Joe said, "'Say, Dad, what's a native dog like?' Dad told him, "'Yellow, sharp ears, and bushy tail.' "'Those must have been some then that I seen.' I don't know about the bushy tail all the hair had come off where did you see them joe we asked down in the springs floating around dead then everyone seemed to think hard and look at the tea i didn't want any more dan jumped off the sofa and went outside and dad looked after mother at last the four acres excepting the biggest of the ironbark trees and about fifty stumps were pretty well cleared. And then came a problem that couldn't be worked out on a draught-board. I have already said that we hadn't any draught-horses. Indeed, the only thing on the selection like a horse was an old tuppy-mare that Dad used to straddle. The date of her foaling went further back than Dad's, I believe, and she was shaped something like an alderman. We found her one day in about eighteen inches of mud with both eyes picked out by the crows and her hide bearing evidence that a feathery tribe had made a roost of her carcass. Plainly there was no chance of breaking up the ground with her help. We had no plough either. How then was the corn to be put in? That was the question. Dan and Dave sat outside in the corner of the chimney, both scratching the ground with a chip and not saying anything. Dad and Mother sat inside, talking it over sometimes dad would get up and walk round the room shaking his head then he would kick old crib for lying under the table at last mother struck something which brightened him up and he called dave catch topsyon he paused because he remembered the old mare was dead run over and ask mr dwyer to lend me three hose dave went dwyer lent the hose and the problem was solved that was how we started End of chapter 1 Recording by Son of the Exiles